Chapter 16 of The Bride of Lammermoor. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Gillian Hendry. The Bride of Lammermoor by Sir Walter Scott. Chapter 16. A slight note I have about me for you, for the delivery of which you must excuse me. It is an offer that friendship calls upon me to do, and no way offensive to you, since I desire nothing but right upon both sides. King and no king. When Ravenswood and his guest met in the morning, the gloom of the master's spirit had in part returned. He also had passed a night rather of reflection than of slumber, and the feelings which he could not but entertain towards Lucy Ashton had to support a severe conflict against those which he had so long nourished against her father. To clasp in friendship the hand of the enemy of his house, to entertain him under his roof, to exchange with him the courtesies and the kindness of domestic familiarity, was a degradation which his proud spirit could not be bent to without a struggle. But the ice being once broken, the Lord Keeper was resolved it should not have time again to freeze. It had been part of his plan to stun and confuse Ravenswood's ideas by a complicated and technical statement of the matters which had been in debate betwixt their families, justly thinking that it would be difficult for a youth of his age to follow the expositions of a practical lawyer, concerning actions of comps and reckoning, and of multiple poindings, and adjudications and wadsets, proper and improper, and poindings of the ground, and declarations of the expiry of the legal. Thus, thought Sir William, I shall have all the grace of appearing perfectly communicative, while my party will derive very little advantage from anything I may tell him. He therefore took Ravenswood aside into the deep recess of a window in the hall, and resuming the discourse of the preceding evening, expressed a hope that his young friend would assume some patience, in order to hear him enter in a minute and explanatory detail of those unfortunate circumstances in which his late honourable father had stood at variance with the Lord Keeper. The master of Ravenswood coloured highly, but was silent, and the Lord Keeper, though not greatly approving the sudden heightening of his auditor's complexion, commenced the history of a bond for twenty thousand marks, advanced by his father to the father of Allan Lord Ravenswood, and was proceeding to detail the executorial proceedings by which this large sum had been rendered a debitum fundi, when he was interrupted by the master. It is not in this place, he said, that I can hear Sir William Ashton's explanation of the matters in question between us. It is not here, where my father died of a broken heart, that I can, with decency or temper, investigate the cause of his distress. I might remember that I was a son, and forget the duties of a host. A time, however, there must come, when these things shall be discussed, in a place and in a presence where both of us will have equal freedom to speak and to hear. Any time, the Lord Keeper said, any place, was alike to those who sought nothing but justice. Yet it would seem he was, in fairness, entitled to some premonition, 
respecting the grounds upon which the master proposed to impugn the whole train of legal proceedings, which had been so well and ripely advised in the only courts competent. "'Sir William Ashton,' answered the master with warmth, "'the lands which you now occupy were granted to my remote ancestor for services done with his sword against the English invaders. How they have glided from us by a train of proceedings that seem to be neither sale nor mortgage nor adjudication for debt, but a nondescript and entangled mixture of all these rights. How annual rent has been accumulated upon principle, and no nook or quan of legal advantage left unoccupied, until our interest in our hereditary property seems to have melted away like an icicle in thaw. All this you understand better than I do. I am willing, however, to suppose, from the frankness of your conduct towards me, that I may in a great measure have mistaken your personal character, and that things may have appeared right and fitting to you, a skilful and practised lawyer, which to my ignorant understanding seem very little short of injustice and gross oppression. And you, my dear master, answered Sir William, you, permit me to say, have been equally misrepresented to me. I was taught to believe you a fierce, imperious, hot-headed youth, ready at the slightest provocation to throw your sword into the scales of justice, and to appeal to those rude and forcible measures from which civil polity has long protected the people of Scotland. Then, since we were mutually mistaken in each other, why should not the young nobleman be willing to listen to the old lawyer, while at least he explains the points of difference betwixt them? No, my lord, answered Ravenswood, it is in the house of British peers, whose honour must be equal to their rank. It is in the court of last resort that we must parley together. The belted lords of Britain, her ancient peers, must decide if it is their will that a house not the least noble of their members shall be stripped of their possessions, the reward of the patriotism of generations, as the pawn of a wretched mechanic becomes forfeit to the usurer the instant the hour of redemption has passed away. If they yield to the grasping severity of the creditor, and to the gnawing usury that eats into our lands as moths into a raiment, it will be of more evil consequence to them and their posterity than to Edgar Ravenswood. I shall still have my sword and my cloak, and can follow the profession of arms wherever a trumpet shall sound. As he pronounced these words, in a firm yet melancholy tone, he raised his eyes, and suddenly encountered those of Lucy Ashton, who had stolen unawares on their interview, and observed her looks fastened on them with an expression of enthusiastic interest and admiration, which had wrapped her for the moment beyond the fear of discovery. The noble form and fine features of Ravenswood, fired with the pride of birth and sense of internal dignity, the mellow and expressive tones of his voice, the desolate state of his fortunes, and the indifference with which he seemed to endure and to dare the worst that might befall, rendered him a dangerous object of contemplation for a maiden already too much disposed to dwell upon recollections connected with him. When their eyes encountered each other, both blushed deeply, conscious of some strong internal emotion, and shunned again to meet each other's looks. Sir William Ashton had, of course, closely watched the expression of their countenances. 
I need fear, said he internally, neither parliament nor protestation. I have an effectual mode of reconciling myself with this hot-tempered young fellow, in case he shall become formidable. The present object is at all events to avoid committing ourselves. The hook is fixed. We will not strain the line too soon. It is as well to reserve the privilege of slipping it loose, if we do not find the fish worth landing. In this selfish and cruel calculation upon the supposed attachment of Ravenswood to Lucy, he was so far from considering the pain he might give to the former, by thus dallying with his affections, that he even did not think upon the risk of involving his own daughter in the perils of an unfortunate passion, as if her predilection, which could not escape his attention, were like the flame of a taper which might be lighted or extinguished at pleasure. But Providence had prepared a dreadful requital for this keen observer of human passions, who had spent his life in securing advantages to himself by artfully working upon the passions of others. Caleb Balderstone now came to announce that breakfast was prepared, for in those days of substantial feeding the relics of the supper simply furnished forth the morning meal. Neither did he forget to present to the Lord Keeper, with great reverence, a morning draught in a large pewter cup garnished with leaves of parsley and scurvy grass. He craved pardon, of course, for having omitted to serve it in the great silver standing cup, as behoved, being that it was at present in a silversmith's in Edinburgh, for the purpose of being overlaid with gilt. "'In Edinburgh like enough,' said Ravenswood, "'but in what place?' or for what purpose, I am afraid neither you nor I know. "'Ah, weel,' said Caleb, peevishly. "'There's a man standing at the gate already this morning. That's a thing that I ken. Does your honour ken whether you will speak with him or no?' "'Does he wish to speak with me, Caleb?' "'Less will no serve him,' said Caleb. "'But ye had best take a visy of him through the wicket before opening the gate.' It's no every yin we should let into this castle. What? Do you suppose him to be a messenger come to arrest me for debt? said Ravenswood. A messenger? Arrest your honour for debt? And in your castle of Wolf's Crag? Your honour is jesting wi' old Caleb this morning. However, he whispered in his ear as he followed him out, I would be loath to do ony decent man a prejudice in your honour's good opinion but I would tack twa looks o' that child before I let him within these walls. He was not an officer of the law, however, being no less a person than Captain Craigengelt, with his nose as red as a comfortable cup of brandy could make it, his laced cocked hat set a little aside upon the top of his black riding periwig, a sword by his side, and pistols at his holsters, and his person arrayed in a riding suit, laid over with tarnished lace the very moral of one who would say, stand to a true man. When the master had recognised him, he ordered the gates to be opened. I suppose, he said, Captain Craigengelt, there are no such weighty matters betwixt you and me, but may be discussed in this place. I have company in the castle at present, and the terms upon which we last parted must excuse my asking you to make part of them. Craigengelt, although possessing the very perfection of impudence, was somewhat abashed by this unfavourable reception. 
He had no intention, he said, to force himself upon the master of Ravenswood's hospitality. He was in the honourable service of bearing a message to him from a friend, otherwise the master of Ravenswood should not have had reason to complain of this intrusion. "'Let it be short, sir,' said the master, "'for that will be the best apology. Who is the gentleman who is so fortunate as to have your services as a messenger?' "'My friend, Mr. Haston of Buclaw,' answered Craigengelt, with conscious importance, and that confidence which the acknowledged courage of his principal inspired. "'Who conceives himself to have been treated by you with something much short of the respect which he had reason to demand, and therefore is resolved to exact satisfaction. I bring with me,' said he, taking a piece of paper out of his pocket, "'the precise length of his sword,' and he requests you will meet him, accompanied by a friend, and equally armed, at any place within a mile of the castle, when I shall give attendance as umpire, or second, on his behoof. Satisfaction, and equal arms, repeated Ravenswood, who, the reader will recollect, had no reason to suppose he had given the slightest offence to his late intimate. Upon my word, Captain Craigengelt, either you have invented the most improbable falsehood that ever came into the mind of such a person or your morning draught has been somewhat of the strongest what could persuade bucklaw to send me such a message for that sir replied craigengelt i am desired to refer you to what in duty to my friend i am to term your inhospitality in excluding him from your house without reasons assigned it is impossible replied the master. He cannot be such a fool as to interpret actual necessity as an insult. Nor do I believe that, knowing my opinion of you, Captain, he would have employed the services of so slight and inconsiderable a person as yourself upon such an errand, as I certainly could expect no man of honour to act with you in the office of umpire. I, slight and inconsiderable, said Craigengelt, raising his voice, and laying his hand on his cutlass, if it were not that the quarrel of my friend craves the precedence, and is independence before my own, I would give you to understand, I can understand nothing upon your explanation, Captain Craigengelt. Be satisfied of that, and oblige me with your departure. D-blank-N, muttered the bully. And is this the answer which I am to carry back to an honourable message? "'Tell the Laird of Buclaw,' answered Ravenswood, "'if you are really sent by him, "'that when he sends me his cause of grievance "'by a person fitting to carry such an errand "'betwixt him and me, "'I will either explain it or maintain it.' "'Then, master, you will at least cause to be returned to Haston "'by my hands his property, "'which is remaining in your possession.' "'Whatever property Buclaw may have left behind him, sir,' replied the master, shall be returned to him by my servant, as you do not show me any credentials from him which entitle you to receive it. Well, master, said Captain Craigengelt, with malice which even his fear of the consequences could not suppress, you have this morning done me an egregious wrong and dishonour, but far more to yourself. A castle, indeed, he continued, looking around him. Why, this is worse than a cook gorge house, where they receive travellers to plunder them of their property. 
"'You insolent rascal!' said the master, raising his cane, and making a grasp at the captain's bridle. "'If you do not depart without uttering another syllable, I will batoon you to death!' At the motion of the master towards him, the bully turned so rapidly round that with some difficulty he escaped throwing down his horse, whose hoofs struck fire from the rocky pavement in every direction. Recovering him, however, with the bridle, he pushed for the gate, and rode sharply back again in the direction of the village. As Ravenswood turned around to leave the courtyard after this dialogue, he found that the Lord Keeper had descended from the hall, and witnessed, though at the distance prescribed by politeness, his interview with Craigengelt. "'I have seen,' said the Lord Keeper, "'that gentleman's face, and at no great distance of time. His name is Craig... Craig something, is it not?' "'Craigengelt is the fellow's name,' said the master. "'At least that by which he passes at present.' "'Craig in guilt,' said Caleb, pruning upon the word Craig, which in Scotch signifies throat. "'If he is Craig in guilt just now, he is as likely to be Craig in peril as ony chiel I ever saw. "'The loon has woody written on his very visnomy, and I would wager twa and a plaque that hemp plates his cravat yet. "'You understand physiognomy, good Mr. Caleb,' said the keeper, smiling. "'I assure you, the gentleman has been near such a consummation before now, for I most distinctly recollect that upon occasion of a journey which I made about a fortnight ago to Edinburgh, I saw Mr. Craigengelt, or whatever is his name, undergo a severe examination before the Privy Council.' "'Upon what account?' said the master of Ravenswood, with some interest. The question led immediately to a tale which the Lord Keeper had been very anxious to introduce, when he could find a graceful and fitting opportunity. He took hold of the master's arm, and led him back towards the hall. "'The answer to your question,' he said, "'though it is a ridiculous business, is only fit for your own ear.' As they entered the hall, he again took the master apart into one of the recesses of the window, where it will be easily believed that Miss Ashton did not venture again to intrude upon their conference. End of chapter 16